Welcome back to First Gen Friends Season 2, a podcast to amplify the voices of those who grew up first generation in a country that sometimes didn't feel like was their own home. We're telling the stories of people who had to adjust, learn, and face adversity along the way, how they overcame those challenging times but can laugh about it today, and also be thankful for those experiences because now they're living their own version of the American dream. On today's episode of First Gen Friends, I interviewed my work bestie. She is a first-generation Jamaican-Canadian, and I feel so lucky not to just have this woman in my life, but on my podcast, because she is my friend, my confidant, my finance mentor, a life mentor, and also just the epitome of a woman supporting a woman type of friendship. She's a content creator, a businesswoman, a corporate baddie, and I'm so excited for you guys to meet her. We discuss everything she did to get to where she is, why traveling is so important to her, and how she relates to Frank Ocean's Super Rich Kids song, but not in the way that it sounds. Also, (laughs) full disclosure, when I recorded this, the echoing was so bad, but the convo was just too good not to publish, so please excuse the audio that I tried to fix on my own. Um, I think it actually did come out better than I expected. Anyway, this is Danica. I am a senior product marketing manager at Shopify, focusing on creators and influencers, previously more in like the finance fintech space. I am a personal speaker and a workshop facilitator. Uh, Topics I typically focus on are finance, financial wellness, um, maybe a bit of like mindful productivity as well as kind of my thing. And as Jamie mentioned, the content creator. So focusing on the things that I'm passionate about, uh, money, personal finance, travel, and lifestyle slash career. So always doing entirely too much, but I do get energized by side hustles, and that's kind of why I keep it going. And uh, to answer your last question, I was born in Toronto, Canada, but my both of my parents were born in Jamaica, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents. So very much a Jamaican-Canadian. When I first met you, going back to like all the things you do, we were, we met at work and I remember I followed you and I'm like, oh, she's serious about this financial <laughs> stuff. I was like, she knows her shit and I need to follow this whole journey. I love it. I love that. Was it always, so were you always passionate about finances? Like, was that something that you talked about growing up? I feel like in my family it was not that, well, it was, but in a negative way. So maybe... Yeah, actually, I can probably relate to that with with your point there. Um, If it was talked about, it was more so in a negative way. Money was not something that we openly talked about or comfortably talked about. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money growing up. So really, the only talk we had about money was how can we spend less of it? And how can we save as much of it as possible? Those were kind of like the main things. So yeah, definitely didn't talk about money growing up. I was also really bad at math growing up so I did not foresee me being in like the personal finance space and like being so passionate about it now definitely did not see that coming yeah but you do it so well you know it it could be complicated finances like the stock market prices the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar like you share it you know every aspect of it 
that people could follow along and feel like, oh, I get what she's talking about versus some other content creators that I honestly, I hear it and I'm like, eyes glass over. <laughs> yours is like fun, beautiful. You make it aesthetically pleasing and I, I understand, you know? Thank you. And that's kind of the point. Like with the content that I create, I want it to be accessible primarily to like black, indigenous and women of color. I think a lot of the times personal finance and finance in general is kind of spoken through the lens of like a heterosexual white male. Um, sometimes it's not in it's not presented in ways that are easily understandable, a little bit judgy. And I'm just like, no, nah, none of that. I want us all. I want black, indigenous women of color to win at finance. And in order to do that, in order to do that and accomplish that, we need to kind of present the information in a way that's easily digestible and fun to follow along. And of course, aesthetically pleasing. When you were younger, so you talked a little bit about the finance situation, but was there ever this like corporate dream that your parents sold to you? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So there wasn't necessarily like a corporate dream per se, but my mom kind of always taught me that once you get a job, just do the job well, don't do too much, keep your head down, don't ask for too much, just kind of like almost shrink yourself to fit in the space. Um, so I've turned out to do the exact opposite, <laughs> literally since I started my career. Um, even now, I think my mom is very confused about what I do for a living and also just very concerned about why I want to like, you know, wear all the hats and like juggle all the different things. But yeah, I think, you know, it's obviously we came from different generations. Um, my mom, she um, immigrated to Canada from Jamaica, was just very thankful to get a job. And that's kind of why she wanted to keep her head down. She just wanted to, you know, make the money to support me and my sister as a single mother um, and just like not rock the boat too much just because it's like, you know, money is already very tight and we don't want to risk losing that because we're doing the most. Whereas now I'm privileged enough to like, you know, be in a space where I can rock the boat and I can negotiate salaries and I can, you know, do side hustles and participate in, you know, courses or whatever it is that makes me happy and kind of just makes me want to, you know, keep going above and beyond and like better myself. Yeah, absolutely. I think about when I would talk to my mom and I'm trying to talk about because she's here, <laughs> but when I would talk to her about work, same thing, and I've said this before, she would just be like, do not negotiate, like, be grateful that they're even giving you a job. And today, I'm like, no, I'm going to go somewhere else that will give me that money because I know my worth. It was only a couple years ago that I learned how to negotiate, right? And I learned how to speak and stick up for myself as a woman and a woman of color. Um, because to your point, our moms were just like, can I please have this? Like, that's all I ask for. I just need this little bit, right? Whereas our generation is like, oh, I made it here, and I want here, and I want this, and I want this, because I can better myself. It's not from a greedy perspective, it's from a growth perspective. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't fault my mother, and I'm sure you don't fault yours, because, not at all. you know, the, the deeper that I go into, like, this financial wellness space and just learning about, like, the history money, the history of money, a lot of these systems in place, especially in corporate Canada, corporate America, they were designed so that black, indigenous women of color do not succeed. And just people of color in general, they were just not set up for us to succeed. There were so many different factors that were kind of like put against us. So like you said, it's like you got to be grateful for what you got because it's like, you know, the fact that we're even here and at this table, that in itself is a blessing. That's why it's cool what you're doing because as a woman of color, as a, you know, corporate baddie, you're... 
showing you're very transparent about things thank you yeah a lot of people aren't right they're gatekeepers because they don't want other people to see how i'm doing this so i'm not going to share that right like i negotiated but i'm not going to tell you how like i've met people like that women that i worked with in corporate america but when i meet people like me like jess for example she was a latina woman who was my leader she just like open this box and was like, these are all the tools. These are all the things I use. Like, let me teach you. And we don't have enough of that. So it's cool that we have this you and so many other women who are really like, here's this information. This is what I do. This is how I afford all these vacations. This is how I afford all of these luxury bags and spend a million dollars for my Italy trip without (laughs) pissing people off. And it's not to show off. And I feel like people are so salty because they think you're showing off. But you're actually helping other people that are like, let me take notes and let me learn from this person because I aspire to be her. Yeah. And that's exactly why I try to be transparent, right? Like, there's so many people, there's so many women that are my mentors that they don't even know that they're my mentors. Because all I do is like, we've never actually had a discussion before, but I just follow them. I follow everything they post and like, I look up to them. I'm inspired by them. And I'm not saying that, you know, people need to be inspired by me or look up to me, but I feel like it's just important to be transparent with these things just so you can get the full story. Because one of my my favorite quotes is like, don't compare your behind the scenes footage to someone's highlight reel. That's a lot of what the internet is these days, right? Like you see all of like the flashy things, but for me, it's important to share the work that goes into these things that was that, you know, the steps I needed to take to make it happen and, you know, make it a reality for me. I want to talk about latchkey kids. <laughs> yes. This is a term you introduced to me, by the way, that I was like, oh, actually, there are moments in my life where I, I was a latchkey kid. But can you can you explain to everyone what it is? For sure. So I actually discovered the term for the first time in a Frank Ocean song. I think it's called Super Rich Kids, and he just talks about how, like, these super rich kids, you know, their parents are working, and they don't necessarily have, like, a lot of love in their lives, and they kind of just let themselves in, the maids are around, they don't really care what's going on, they're just here to do their jobs. Anyway, that's how I discovered the term. Um, That exact situation is not mine, I was not a super rich kid, but I was a kid who, um, again, was raised by a single mother, she worked until maybe like she came home at like 6 37 p.m at night i finished work at three o'clock so when i was younger i had to obviously go to um a babysitter when it made sense when i was super young but by like grade two grade three i was kind of doing that latchkey kid thing where i would have a key to the house i would let my or a key to our apartment let myself in and take care of myself and kind of parent myself. So that's entertaining myself. It's, you know, making my own food um, and just kind of doing all the things that I needed to do to like get myself ready for the day tomorrow, do my own homework. Um, I remember as I was like preparing for this and thinking about this, did you have bagel bites as a kid or do you, do you know what bagel bites are? Or like toast? Yeah, we have those. Yeah. They're, they're just like the little mini, you pop them in the toaster and they're like pizza. I grew up on those like that was my food like I can't even eat it anymore because I ate it so often as a kid because I didn't know how to cook right so it was like my for microwavable dinners and like mini frozen microwavable pizzas that's was my dinner for a lot of the time unfortunately that's so funny mine was 
Chef Boyardee. Ah, uh, yes. Remember those pans with like the little meatballs, which now thinking about, I'm like, how did I eat that? But I loved it. Yeah. It was Chef Boyardee and then also Pop-Tarts. We had... Um, I had the Pop-Tarts too. Toaster strudels. Pop-Tarts, <laughs> yes. Like anything that was like easy. Fast. And then hot dogs because yep. I would boil water and like I was allowed to boil water. Just cook them and eat them with like eggs or stuff like that. Yeah. My dog's barking now. (laughs) Your uh, dog loves uh, hot dogs as well. But yeah, no, I was the same. You got to do what you got to do, right? And that's kind of one of the key latchkey kid, um, I don't know, symptoms, I guess. (laughs) One thing I remember, my mom used to leave us at home just to like run to the store to pick something up. Because you know, you have to like pack up the kids and you have the bags and the whole thing. And she's like, let me just run like... Jamie, you watch your little brother. Like, I'll be right back. And I think you must have been in, like, third grade. How old are you in third grade? I don't know. Eight? Seven? Yeah, around that. I was young, but I could speak. Like, I could answer the phone. And I could know not to open the door. Like, I knew how to survive <laughs> on my own. A, a, like, mom from the PTA, I guess, called. And I had answered the phone. And I was like, oh, my mom's not here. Like, she'll be home soon. And for some reason, this woman, who already I knew, like, was a bully to my mom, like, hated my mom. She would always be late from, like, to pick me up from school because she was working late. She would have to, like, you know, since she was PTA, like, she had to take care of the kids, I guess, that stayed after for some reason. And she would yell at my mom. And my mom was just, like, this 23-year-old woman just trying to get by, like, cleaning houses and stuff. Well, at that time, she must have been, like, almost 30. This woman called my house. I don't remember for what reason. All I remember is that there were cops at my house, like, 10 minutes later because this woman called the cops on my mom for leaving us home alone. Wow. Her daughter was, like, one of my biggest bullies that I still remember Mm -hmm. to this day. And it's just, like why you know like what was your what was the point did you want us to go into like the foster system you know I always think about that how this woman was like after my mom and like called the cops on her for leaving the kids at home and she was like going down the street to the bodega or something yeah that is excessive I'm really sorry you experienced that but this is just another like I I think I'm becoming radicalized (laughs) right I think I'm becoming radicalized because the more I think about it all of these systems were never put or put in place for us to never succeed. Your mom had to do what she had to do. And that sometimes means like, I can't take the kids to the store or I can't necessarily pay for a babysitter right now. I have to prioritize food and things like that. The systems were just not set up for us to succeed. And I would also want to join brownies. Do you guys have brownies in Canada? I actually did brownies. That is the only extracurricular activity that we could afford. And it's the only thing I did throughout my childhood. We have Sparks, brownies, and Girl Guides. And I did all three of them. Because I won. I remember seeing the girls with their, like, little, like, brown bass in their, in their little, like, pins. And I wanted to do it. But it must have cost money to be part of it, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And my mom couldn't afford it. So I couldn't be in it. But... If my mom could afford it, I could stay after school mm-hmm. and she could work late. So, like, to your point, the system wasn't in our favor. Like, why couldn't there be a program for people who were underprivileged to put them in brownies so they could learn and their mom could work late and they would ultimately be p- picked up on time? So, 
that's one of the memories I have as well that like I couldn't do because I didn't have money to do it, which is actually really sad. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, it is really sad. Like I am still surprised we were able to make it happen. Were you able to do any sports as a kid? I wasn't, I wasn't able to afford any sports or like piano or anything like that. So I was able to afford soccer up until I, I want to say sixth grade. Um, because then you moved on to travel and then my mom would have to like pay for uniforms, pay for games, drive me. And that just like, wasn't an option for us. So unfortunately, like I couldn't excel past the free trial, I guess, when you're like in sixth grade or something like that. Yeah. Do you have resent for that? Like at all? Like, cause I mean, I personally, I do. I feel like I am not good at anything, not good at any sports in my adulthood. Cause I didn't have access to playing them as a kid. <laughs> You know what I was thinking the other day? I loved to sing. I loved music. I loved, like, I wanted to be in the choir, and I wanted to be, like, I, I was obsessed with Selena. Like the of course. Like, the 1995 Selena. Obsessed. She was my idol, and I loved Jayla. And I wanted to be a singer. Like, I, I wanted lessons, but we couldn't afford any of that. So I always wonder, like, if I had that access to, like, music or piano lessons or just like being able to like succeed in that world as a kid what I would my life have turned differently so like a little resent but mm -hmm. also it's like there are no free versions of those things right like there aren't piano lessons at school or singing lessons at school it's like you're in chorus with everyone else and maybe you get a solo but then it's like 5,000 kids want the solo right yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't. And I also didn't have access to like tutors. So I would stay after school for a homework club where they would give us Oreos. And I remember that. <laughs> and I love the free Oreos. Like that was free. <laughs> My mom can't afford Oreos, but like I'm going to stay after school for a homework club to get Oreos from Mrs. Quigley. Yeah. That, those are my memories. Yeah, it's interesting. But as a kid, like I knew to do those things because my mom would have never known like oh homework club with this club like I put myself in the clubs and I'd always ask like as a kid be like how much does this cost like can I because if it cost money then I wouldn't even ask like, mm, no. yeah I get that yeah you just like opened up, like the memory box of my child yeah I feel it honestly I relate to a lot of that like I had like a breakfast club and I think yes. maybe one of the differences between your childhood and my childhood is I know that you grew up in an area where there were like a lot of more privileged children, right? And like who had money? Yes, I was a minority. Right, exactly. So the difference between us is that while I didn't have a lot of money, that was the norm in my area. So I lived in an area where everyone kind of lived, we all lived in community housing. We were all poor. We all just didn't have a lot of money. And I guess in a way, now that I'm looking back at it, I'm kind of thankful for that because we were all in the same boat. Like we were all not necessarily struggling, but we all didn't have the luxuries and we kind of, so no one really felt like they were out of place and no one really felt poor because that was just kind of like business as usual. That was just like what it was. Um, so a lot of us didn't get to do, you know, the fancy extracurricular sports until like grade six when other areas, they kind of joined our school and like there was like the rich kids and then there was like a clear division of wealth. Um, but from grade one to five, we were all in the same boat, which was everyone walked to school because, you know, it was close enough. And everyone who walked came from a building that was community housing. I was the opposite. I knew I was different. I knew, like, I knew everyone else had more than what I had 
add that extra layer into knowing that you're different from like a race perspective, like socioeconomic perspective. The whole, even even my like my language obviously would hurt my grades. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like I was smart, right? Because I didn't understand. So it was hard for me to comprehend like very basic stuff. And yeah, it's just I had to work harder. Yeah. And I feel like I still feel that as an adult, which is why going back to the point, like having someone like you when I was younger would have been so helpful, but I didn't. Exactly. I think my aspirations came from like sex in the city and samantha was like (laughs) the woman i wanted to be i wanted to be this like high woman in power in new york city it's not as sexy and glamorous as i imagined (laughs) it would be obviously yeah so i've made my own path and i've like learned from it and um i feel lucky because i get to be around really smart and cool people who are similar to me and like you know you and I got to connect and we clicked really fast. And I'm like, there's someone else that looks like me. And I think working where we work, there are so many times I'm in a meeting and it's all women of color. And I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Seriously. Yeah, it's rare, I think, sometimes in our industry. But yeah. when we are able to be in spaces like that, same. I am just so appreciative of the fact that it exists. And we're only starting. Like, this is just the beginning. This isn't like we haven't made it yet. You know, I feel like there's so much. I don't know. I'm kind of ready to retire soon. I don't know about you, <laughs> but maybe for oh, yeah, another combo. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I guess we're on the path to retirement. That's our goal. Yes. <laughs> Where are you today in your career, and what are some things that you're excited about that you've done so far, and like, what's what is next for you besides retirement? <laughs> yeah, I guess. One thing that like I'm really proud about career-wise is how I ended up in the field of marketing. So to what I said earlier, like math was never my thing, never saw myself ending up in a business role. But the way that I got into marketing actually was when I needed to pay myself to go to university or I think um, in college, I first of all had an older sister and she went to university and she had to take on a student loan. And I saw what that did to her. I saw the stress and like the worry, the concern, like the consistent, like just disdain with the fact that this is over her head. And I knew immediately I do not want that to be me. My sister is 10 years older. So it was kind of like looking in the future. And I'm like, yeah, no, I need that to not be me. So what I decided to do immediately upon graduating from high school was get a job in the mall at this um, store called Kudo and by TELUS. It's kind of like the Verizon um, of Canada. And I worked there in the mall selling phones for five and a half years. (laughs) It was a really long time. And it was, you know, you're standing eight hours on your feet and you're just praying someone's going to come in and buy a family plan so you can like get that commission check even though it's like 20 bucks a phone or something but at the time to me like it was a lot of money and it actually allowed me to save for my you know university I'm really really proud of the fact that I didn't have to take on a student loan because I was kind of able to stack up that money on the flip side I also got like extreme burnout and probably got some tendencies of like overworking and maybe doing a bit too much because I was forced to be in overdrive a little bit. But 
um, yeah, I worked at that job for five and a half years. And in the last semester of university for me, by the way, I went to university for radio and television arts. So completely separate from marketing. I wanted to be like a weather lady on TV. It didn't happen yet. Um, but yeah, in my last semester of university, we were given an option to do an internship and it didn't necessarily have to be in like film TV industry. So I started browsing the careers page on the company that I had already worked for. I'm like, okay, I've been here for five and a half years. I already know the front lines. Like I know this product better than probably anyone they would hire randomly off the street. So I just started stalking it like every single day. If something was posted, an internship, I would be like reaching out to the hiring manager because I had their information. I had their email address, booking all of the coffee chats. And yeah, thankfully enough, um, someone was interested. Um, She reached out to me. She's like, come in for an interview. I got hired within like a week. And that was how I got my foot in the door within marketing. And I'm so grateful for that because maybe about three years into my degree, I knew that I probably wasn't going to pursue a career in radio and television just because the, the pay was kind of inconsistent. It's not a very like steady paycheck, um, but I knew that I couldn't afford to start my degree over again. So I was really, really grateful that I was able to get an internship in marketing because I got my foot in the door without having to like pay for <laughs> a degree all over again. And yeah, I just never saw that happening for me. So I'm really proud that I was able to make that pivot and just be in a field where I didn't think I belonged because I thought I was just so bad at math. It's also so badass that you were like making cold calls within, (laughs) you know, using your network to get in. And it just takes that one person and you're in a totally different trajectory than like maybe if you were like, this isn't going to work out for me. Let me go somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. I'm really, really grateful that I was ambitious and kind of like bold and audacious as I was because it definitely paid off. I'm telling you, it's that, that latchkey kid in us. <laughs> we had to do it. It's true. We had to I'm just like... I'm saying that word. I don't know why. I'm going to send you the song I'm after. the latchkey episode. Yes. Love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you feel like when you were a kid, you had this big dream about something that you really wanted and you couldn't have? Do you have it now? That's a really good question. Um, I would say when I was a kid, I I just wanted like my own space. I wanted to like, I guess probably like live downtown and do cool things and also just see the world. I remember so vividly, um, we didn't go on like family vacations as a kid. Like even now as a 31 year old, I've never been on a plane with my mom before. Um, But I remember there was one occasion where a family member was getting married in Jamaica And I actually went with my dad and my dad and I are not super close, but you know what? I'm like, this is an opportunity. Let me go with my dad. The only reason we could afford the flight is because a family member worked at the airport. So we flew on standby. I think we slept in the airport for like two nights one time just to try to, it was, it was the worst. Anyway, the point of the matter is I remember we got to go to Jamaica and that was like a cool experience for me. It was my first travel experience, but I remember when we were on the plane, the, pilot announced that we were now flying over Cuba and I'm like oh my gosh this is so cool I've basically been to Cuba before so I remember when I got home I told all my friends yeah I went to Jamaica and Cuba and I just because travel was just never accessible to me so I just wanted to like use every opportunity I had to tell people that I've been places and now at 31 years old I've been to 23 countries and I'm just like wow like I did not see that coming so I think that's probably like the thing I didn't see coming and I'm just really proud of I've made it a reality. I'm going to cry. 
That is so sweet, and that's amazing. And I could just imagine you as a little kid, you know, being like, oh, my God, I've been to Cuba, because you flew over it, you know? Like, I 100% would have done that, too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. <laughs> yeah, we used to only go to El Salvador, because that's where our family was, so yeah. all we had to pay for was for the flight. But, yeah, to your point, I've never been on a trip with, like, a family vacation, the only time I've ever done it was four weeks ago for my wedding. Yeah. Which I'm really yeah. happy that you were able to make that happen too. Because I think, obviously, wedding aside, being in another country with your family in itself is just, like, such a great experience. It was so cool. It was both my brother and my mom's first time in Europe. And it had been, you know, I had only been to Europe for the first time, like, uh, five years ago, I think. So, yeah, to your point, like, same exact thing. My friends used to go to Florida for vacation for, like, spring break. And I'd be like, yeah, I was in, you know, Long Island. So, like, I didn't get to go anywhere. And people would come back with, like, their hair braided and, like, their tans. And and I was like, oh, cool, you know, what's it like? Yeah, I had a lot I of do that. same. Honestly, I felt the exact same way as a kid, like, I think even now I have like a bit of resentment that like I've never been able to go on a family trip before. And another thing that's really big here in Canada is um, rich white families, they own cottages or cabins. Is that a thing yeah. for you too? Yeah. Uh, they're like summer houses. Yeah. We don't call them cottages, but yeah, that was a big thing I learned about Canadians when I started working here. Everyone is going to the cottage and I'm like, what is a cottage? they were like, what do you mean? You don't know what a cottage is? I'm like, is it like another house? You have another house somewhere? That's literally, and I was the same, because even a Canadian, I'm just like, what do you mean you have another house? You have two houses? We can't afford one yeah. house. You have two? We didn't, we never owned one. We rented, and it was yeah. like, are we going to get evicted? Like, we never owned. So one of the things, too, is when I buy my first house, I feel like that's going to be like, whoa, I don't have a house. Similar to you, that's the same as mine we're so obsessed with taking pictures of everything because we didn't get to have those as kids so we appreciate it like 10x as you know I actually never thought of it that way but I appreciate you sharing that because sometimes people like guilt you for wanting to like document it but you're totally right like this is a new experience for us it wasn't accessible to us before so hell yeah I'm gonna take all my pictures we're genuinely grateful like I'm so grateful and I'm like this is so cool like when I go somewhere and I get to see it for the first time I'm so like a puppy eyed dog and Max <laughs> my husband is always like I love traveling with you because you are so just like in awe every time because he grew up traveling so it's mm -hmm. not the same for him because he's like seeing it and experiencing it with me it's like oh that is I love that well, Janika, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It was so nice just, like, reliving memories with you. Yeah, and thank you for having me. Again, I am so proud of you for making this podcast a thing and pushing through and continuing. The world really needs to hear these stories. <laughs>